0: I reiterate everything that was said about Charlie and Vicky. We actually got to go to dinner with them on Sunday night. And uh, it was good just to relax and chill out. And at one point, Charlie goes, I'm back. I'm back. And uh, there was a table of four ladies sitting next to us. I mean, right next to us. And uh, they were... Friends for a long time, and they were Catholic. And uh, Charlie got into the conversation with them. I'm like, "Oh, here we go." <laughs> Charlie, and he explained his whole journey as being Catholic and how uh, the whole rest factor is important to him now and everything else. And it was it was so interesting because the lady, like right next to him, was asking him questions. You know, like. What do you mean? It's different. How, how, how is it different? How is it? Because it—it's it, not a question of salvation. That's not what it's about. It's not a question of like who's going to heaven, who's not going. It, It's—it's a—it's a about the way of life, the pattern, how you live your life. I came that you might have it abundantly. And he began to explain it, and then of course I jumped in, and then the other lady was like, "Well, this is going nowhere." <laughs> And it was kind of like you had one lady that was interested and one lady that wasn't interested. And it it just reminded me of Acts chapter 28. This is what we're dealing with today. We get to the la- the last chapter, and if you think about it, uh, last week we left them in a shipwreck. They had basically ran this ship ashore on a sandbar, and the back end ran into the front end, and it shattered. And they all ended up jumping ship and getting to this little island during the winter months. It's 60-61 A.D. winter, so starting in the fall and coming around through the beginning of the year. And they're all safe. Just like the angel of the Lord came to Paul on that trip and said, hey, if you do what you're told, if you listen to the Lord... The ship is not going to survive, but everybody on the ship will survive. There's 276 people on the ship, and every one of them survived. They ended up in this little island called Malta. I'll show you on the map right here. But hey, they started in Caesarea, went up north around Cyprus, got into uh, Lycia, and came around, and they were here in Fair Havens. Fair Havens, which means a safe harbor, safe harbor. And then they were, what's the next slide? And then this is where they decided to like take off because Paul's like saying, no, don't take off because it's not going to be safe. There's this gentle southern wind that's going to turn into this like typhoon. And so you can see where they drifted and drifted and they crashed into this land of Malta. And actually, you know what the word Malta stands for? Refuge that's what it's, it malta became the refuge for these 276 people so let's pick up in acts chapter 28 verse 1 it says once safely ashore when then we then learn that the island was called malta again meaning refuge malta is about 18 miles long and 8 miles wide it's 60 miles just south of sicily says, the local people showed us extraordinary kindness. And you have to know at that time, if you didn't speak Greek, you were considered barbarians. So not everybody on the ship speak, spoke Greek. And so, but, but the people on the island, refuge, showed kindness to them, extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, uh, you think about this for a second. Uh, We were loading in this morning. We were loading in this morning, and I said, where's Jim David? He's not here. And Bogdan goes, well, he's smart. He waited till all the heavy lifting was done. Now, Jim, I know how much work you do behind the scenes. I'm not giving you a hard time. But here's Paul. Here's Paul, the guy that like literally saved them all from dying. And what's he doing? He's he's gathering wood. Like these people should be putting Paul up on a pedestal and, you know, like, thank you, thank you for saving us. But what's he, he's out doing what everybody else is doing. He's out gathering wood because he was a servant, the servant of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. This is great. It says, as Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper doesn't say a snake. It says a viper, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand a snake literally comes out and bites Paul on the hand. It says, when the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand. Now, if it's me and a snake comes near me, I think I'm going to know it, I think. But if it bites me on the hand, what are you going to do? Immediately, I'm shaking that thing off. But that's not what it says here. It says when the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, like Paul's standing there and he's got this viper like sucked onto his hand. Wait. It says, they said to one another, this man no doubt is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. That this viper has like cinched onto him, putting venom in him, him, and is going to kill him right here on the spot. He must have done something pretty evil, is what they're thinking. So the viper is hanging on his hand, because we know that Luke records everything chronologically. They have time to make this statement, and he's still got this snake hanging on him. It says, But he shook the snake off into the fire, and suffered no harm now here's where you can interpret the bible really differently who suffered no harm the snake or paul (laughs) you see what i'm saying it's like you you can make the bible say what you want to say but it's he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm paul suffered no harm he had this viper hanging on him he's like was he like looking at it like oh wow that's pretty cool what's the deal i i'm not really sure but watch what happened. It says, they expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. And after they walked a long time and saw, waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. That he didn't die. How does that viper bite him, hang on like that, stick venom in him, and he survive. He must be a Greek God. Now, this isn't much different than what happened in Acts chapter 14 when Paul went to Lystra. There was a man that had no power in his feet. He had basically been born disabled and couldn't walk. And Paul says, Do you have enough faith? And he says, Yes, to be healed. And he says, Get up and walk. This is like 14 chapters before. And the man got up and walked right there. And all the people said, Paul must be a God. The exact same thing happened twice now. Verse 7, it says, Now in the area around the place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Pablios, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Pablios' father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Now, you ask people what dysentery is and you're going to get different responses. Should I ask a nurse in here? Come on. Should I, Therese, what is dysentery? It's a virus? I said, "Okay." I said, "Okay, Google, what is dysentery?" It said bloody diarrhea. Really? His father's in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying and laid his hands on him. That's not what you do when somebody's sick, right? You usually stay away from them. And laying his hands on him, he healed him. And after this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they they heaped many honors on us, and we sailed And they gave us what we needed. Here's a group, 276 people, crashed on an island. They were extraordinarily kind to them. Paul did some healing on the island, did some amazing things. And then they're continuing on their journey. As they continue on their journey, they literally have nothing when they arrived. And they leave with all these gifts. Everybody totally blessed them with everything that they needed to continue to travel on to Rome. Now, if this is 60 to 61 A.D., let me remind you about the Gospels. We know that Matthew was written somewhere between the late 58 to 62 A.D. And Matthew wrote this book to the Jews. He was in Antioch, Syria. And he really proclaimed Jesus as the Jews. And at the same time, Mark, he's writing his gospel at the same time. He's the same guy that traveled with Paul on several of his journeys. But he's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to the Romans. And he portrays Jesus as the servant of Jehovah. Luke, he's the guy that's actually writing Acts. He's writing his book at the same time. So Luke is writing not only Acts, but he's writing the gospel of Luke at the same time. He's a physician. He's doing everything, writing it chronologically. He's very detailed. We know that he wrote his somewhere between 60 and 63 AD. And again, he's writing it from Rome. So as he gets to Rome, he begins writing the gospel, and he's going to portray Jesus as the Son of Man. John, the fourth gospel, he's writing that while he's exiled on the island of Patmos. We believe that it was written sometime between 80 and 90 AD, the gospel of John. and his audience, he's writing to the Jews. He portrays Jesus as the Son of God. He wrote more about what Jesus said and who he is than the other three. So all this is like taking place at the same time that we're wrapping up this journey with Paul in Rome. And they finally get to Rome. It says verse 11, After three months we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that was wintered at the island with the twin gods as its figurehead putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Re'eom. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, that sound familiar, and the second day, we came to Petioli. So what you have to know about this Alexandrian ship with the two heads, is in Greek mythology, Castor and Pollux were the names of twin sons of Zeus. And they were revered as protectors of the sea. So they jumped on this ship that now is supposedly going to protect these men from the sea. There were a lot of Roman ships that bore their image as a plea for safety. Let me show you a map real quick. So you're at Malta on the south side of Sicily. I said that it was like 60 miles from Sicily. And they make it up and go through the strait. And then they, you'll, you'll see a Rome, that Rome is eventually at the top. But they land there at, where is it that they land at? I can't see it from here. Yeah, Petitoli. Yeah, Petitoli. They land at Petitelli, and then they have to walk all the way to Rome. It was about 80 miles to Syracuse, another 70 to Raim, and then the south wind was exactly what they needed in order to make it safely up there. Verse 14, it says, There we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. Obviously, he's a prisoner, so he had to have Julius, who was the... Roman soldier in charge of him, he had to grant him permission to be able to hang out with the brothers and sisters for that week. And so we came to Rome there. He finally did it. He got to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. Julius and his entourage right there, the party took this famous walkway the Apean Way, and traveled 125 miles from Petili to Rome. The first group of Christians met Paul at the Forum of Appius, which was about 43 miles from Rome, and they walked with them. They literally heard Paul's coming to Rome finally. And then the second group, the three taverns, they were about 10 miles nearer to the city. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage to me. Paul's walking along this way, he's going to Rome, not knowing what to expect, and all these believers that he's written to four years earlier, he wrote the letter to Rome, and he says i "I, I want to come see you. I'm anxious to come see you, but it's not my time yet. Now they've gotten this letter, they've read it they've anticipated his arrival." And they've come to meet him halfway. It's kind of like on Sunday mornings walking in here to Pinheads and just seeing everybody. You know, there's this just like this joy of being together and hanging out. I'm sure that it was probably even much greater than that. Verse 16, it says, When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul finally arrives in Rome and he's under house arrest. He lives in his own private holding right there on the third floor of the Roman insula, which is basically an apartment. And he had to pay his own rent. He's a prisoner, but he's paying his own rent. And not only is he paying his own rent, but he's chained to a Roman guard. A Roman guard that is changed every four to six hours. like They take turns... Watching Paul in his house and they stay chained to him. I don't know how long the chain is. But that's. Let's, let's think about this for a second. You have, you have a different guard, four to six guards every 24 hours from the imperial army, army of Rome chained to Paul. What's Paul doing? He's preaching to him. Every time he gets chained to him, he's like, Where'd we leave off? Let me tell you about what my Savior did. Let me tell you why he is the Messiah that all the Jews are looking for. Let me tell you, just let me tell you some stories that's happened, the process that the Lord's done in healing people around here. Let me tell you about my journey here. Like, this goes on for two years. Two years. So the imperial armor, arm, army of Caesar is hearing the gospel 24-7, literally. He has the opportunity, a captive audience. He quickly became the talking point among them. And here, here's the same thing. Here, here, this is like my kids you know, he was allowed to have visitors, so he had people visiting him all the time. And he would repeat the stories and tell the stories. You know how many times my kids have had the, heard the story of Leavener? Like, you, you have people come and visit and hang out, and they want to know how Leavener got started. And my kids are sitting at dinner just like this, and it's like, oh, geez, here we go again. And they try to tell the story, and it's like... You can see him mouthing in the background exactly what I'm going to say. I'm sure that this was the same thing that was happening with the guards. He's got more visitors coming, and they just keep hearing the stories over and over and over again. Verse 17, it says, After three days he called together the leaders of the Jews. You realize that everywhere that Paul went in Acts, he went to the Jews first. He would always go into town, go to the synagogue, and he would tell them about the Messiah. That Messiah that you're looking for, Jesus is the Messiah. He traveled to all the synagogues. Now he's called for all the leaders of the synagogues of Rome to come to him because he needs to explain why he's there. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people, the Jews, or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me, since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. They objected and basically wanted to, they wanted to kill me, so the only safe plan that I had was appeal to Caesar and to come here to Rome. He says, even though I had no charge to bring against my people, for this reason I've asked to see you and to speak to you, In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. The apostle made it very clear to all his brothers, the leaders of the synagogues, that his appeal to Caesar must not be interpreted as an indictment against the Jewish nation. This isn't an indictment against you. Actually, he was a prisoner on behalf of the nation, and the hope of all Israel. He's literally come there to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, it says, Then they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. The things that you're teaching people are speaking bad about you. But we don't have anything from Jerusalem. No one's no one said anything. So after arranging a day with him, they put it on their schedule, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God he tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. So on the day that they appointed, Paul spent from morning till evening explaining the scriptures. And not only did he explain, when you say the scriptures, the only scriptures they had were the Old Testament. Because remember, we said they're in the process of writing the Gospels right now yeah, they had the letter of Romans and Corinthians and things like that that Paul had written, but he's going back through the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books. He's going through the history books. He's going through the prophets, and he's explaining the whole message to them in light of you've been, we've been waiting for this Messiah all our life. And now... Jesus has come, and he's literally fulfilled most of the prophecies already. The rest are yet to be fulfilled. So he dialogued this way with the Jews in one synagogue after another, and now he's sharing the word with the leaders of the many synagogues there in Rome. Watch this, verse 24. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. Paul takes one statement from the scriptures, from the prophet of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, and he says, go to these people and say, you will always be listening to But never understanding. You're going to come here on a Sunday morning and you're going to listen, but some of you will never understand. And you will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. It's one thing to listen, but it's quite something else to hear. I listened for a long part of my life. And I grew up teaching what I had heard, what I had listened to, and then through a series of events, and mainly my my friend Keith Tyner, who pursued me week after week after week, I began to hear a different message. Same Bible, same scripture, different mindset. It wasn't about salvation. It wasn't about whether I was going to heaven or not. It was about how I lived out my daily life. At this point, what Paul's saying, this is about salvation. If you can't see that Jesus is the Messiah... You're missing out. You, you, you miss the Messiah if you can't see this. If anybody should have possessed like spiritual understanding, it should have been the Jewish leaders. Yet all they know is what was written here in this word, and they were sticking to it. They were sticking to it. It says their hearts were dull and hard. That was their choice. Too, too often, those who enjoy the most like spiritual privileges are not ready when it's time to make spiritual decisions. They're too focused on the jot and tittle of the word. Not understanding that the Holy Spirit is living inside of them. Holy Spirit is living inside of them. Yet, yeah, I'm going to focus on the very word right here and they're going to miss it. They're going to miss it. It says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. if you guys can't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if you can't hear this, well, there's another group of people that will. Paul always spoke the truth and what he believed, no matter who his audience was. But at some point, you walk away when you realize they're listening, but they're not hearing. I want to hang out with people that are going to hear me. I don't have time for people that are going to listen and disagree. if if they don't want to listen to me that's fine. You know, you walked in, I didn't bring you here. We don't really promote this place. We're just teaching the word. And if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. And this is literally what Paul's like saying, He's like it, it, if you don't want to hear it, I'm going to take it to the Gentiles. This is like one of the major themes of Acts, how the gospel moved from the Jews to the Gentiles and from Jerusalem to Rome. It moved because of Paul. Verse 30, i got two verses left. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house. Again, he was responsible for his own rent money. You know... We don't talk about money around here, but the Lord is taking care of us. I don't think Paul talked about money, but he was taken care of. And he welcomed all who visited to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul just being Paul. I'm going to talk about Jesus till my dying day. I want to talk about Jesus who are willing to hear. If you can't hear, there's nothing I can do about it. That's the end of Acts. But just let me give you a little, we're not done, but just let me give you a little precursor of what happens based upon the letters that Paul writes next while he's in Rome. During this two years in Rome, Paul wrote Philippians, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Colossians, and Philemon. He was expected to be released, and I think that most people believe that he was released for a period of time, and then he was arrested again. During that time that he was released, he had Timothy with him, as well as John, Mark, Luke, Aristarchus, Epaphras, Justus, and Demas. We can see that in Colossians and Philemon. He also met Philemon's runaway slave. We'll get to that story, Onesimus. But he met him and led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus brought a gift to him from the Philippian church and almost died ministering to Paul. Dicaicus was Paul's mailman who delivered Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Dr. Luke, who wrote this book, he ended this book before, before Paul's case had ever come to court and come to decision. So he couldn't give us the results of Paul's trial. We don't know how that trial ended, although we do believe that he was released at some point. During that time that he was released, probably somewhere between 63 A.D. to 66, 67 A.D. of when Paul died, he also wrote letters to Timothy and to Titus. We'll get into those. He left Titus in Crete, Trophimus sick in Miletus, and Timothy in Ephesus. He planned to meet some of his helpers at Nicopolis, after he had visited some of the churches that he had established. But wherever he went, he still went to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles to teach them faith in Jesus Christ. Eventually he got arrested again, probably about the year 67 AD. And the time and the situation changed drastically at this point. It's like, Everything changed for Paul. He didn't live in a house this time, but he was chained in a prison and treated like a criminal this time. Winter was coming, remember, and he asked Timothy, Bring me my cloak. I'm cold. If you get here, I need some support. But the saddest thing about this second imprisonment was he's being forsaken by the Roman believers. The people in Rome, the church in Rome that he's like ministered and taught, now all of a sudden they're turning on him. What? The great apostle of the Gentiles was abandoned by the very people he came to assist. Even Demas forsook him. Luke ended up being the only one with him. The family of Onesiphorus, ministered to his needs, but he still longed for Timothy and Mark to come to be at his side. Paul knew that his time was coming. And then tradition tells us that he was beheaded at Rome around 67, 68 AD. But all the days of Paul's life From that moment of his conversion experience, where Jesus appeared to him and he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior, every conversation he had, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. If you believe, if you just believe, everything changes. The adventure changes. Doesn't matter about shipwrecks. Doesn't matter about grief. Doesn't matter about chaos. Doesn't matter about the adventure changes. It's as Matt was saying earlier. All you have to do is rest. Doesn't mean I don't do anything. We know Paul. Did, we know Paul did stuff, but it was because the Holy Spirit inside of Paul did it through Paul. Just as Jesus said. These miracles that you've seen me do—I didn't do them. My father did them. Paul's saying the same thing. There's a holy, living God inside of me that's that's teaching, that's healing, that's loving in the midst of chaos. That allows you to say, "I'm back." Lord, I pray that the ears in here are able to hear. That the spirit in this room causes people to hear. That's your job, not mine. So I pray that you're doing that in the hearts of your people. People that you love, your children, you've made holy and you've redeemed and you've perfected. I trust that you'll do that today.